Welcome to Sonosphere, the podcast that explores the sounds all around us in art and music movements through history. We're your hosts, I'm Amy. And I'm Chris. New York City-based composer collective Iceberg New Music was in residence at Cross Sound Arts for two weeks of concerts, workshops, and lectures back in June of 2017. We had the pleasure of sitting down with five of the ten composers that make up Iceberg to talk about their mission, experiences in collaboration and blending genres, their time in residence at Crosstown Arts, and what they have in store for the future. The ten Iceberg composers hail from different schools and cultivate radically different sounds, but their contrasting musical languages share emphasis on structure and depth of meaning. We spoke with the composers from the second concert in the series and attended their workshops and lectures that ranged from a sound scavenger hunt to a lecture on popular and classical music in 1960s America. Memphis-based contemporary chamber group Blue Shift Ensemble collaborated with Iceberg and performed the collective's original compositions for the concert series. Here's our talk with Iceberg. Great. Um, my name is Drake Anderson. Um, I am really interested in electronic music, indeterminate music. Um, I'm happy to be here. My name is Jonathan Russ. I am composer in residence with the Blue Shift Ensemble, and uh, I'm particularly interested in uh, indie rock and in storytelling in music um, and in the collision of various musical worlds. I'm Harry Staphylakis, composer in residence of the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra and festival director of the Winnipeg New Music Festival. I'm especially interested in translating the energy and vibe of metal into classical music. My name is Eugene Tian. I'm from Taiwan and I'm currently studying in and teaching in New York. And my interest in composition is I like to explore the sound world, like to uh, explore the potential of the instrument and to rebuild the instrument through the compositional process. My name is Alex Bertsos. I recently got my doctorate from Manhattan School and now I'm on faculty at a couple different colleges in New Jersey. My big interest in composition is what could be called contemporary eclecticism, incorporating elements of hip-hop, metal, rock and roll, indie rock into the classical idiom in kind of a literary way. So Iceberg is something that I started as a reaction against a kind of lingering sentiment in the classical music world. Uh, You guys have done a lot of episodes about the history of music in the 20th century, and I'm sure that you kind of have a sense of the division that happened mid-century into the uptown, downtown schools. The, um, and I, I think that in 2017, that kind of sentiment is very misplaced, that we are already a marginalized enough community 
that we don't need further divisions. And so I started this collective as a way of bringing together very different composers, having them all write for the same ensembles and work together, and even uh, work together on collaborative projects. So striving for what we call radical diversity inside this group. Um, and we had our first season in New York last year. So for our first season, we, we featured two very prestigious ensembles. We had a concert with Contemporaneous, conducted by David Bloom. We had a concert with Loadbang. And for each concert, they played five new pieces by members of the collective, and then one Call for Scores winner. So we had composers submit their work, and we chose pieces that were of a high quality um, that complemented and diversified the programs that they were included on. And the response that we got was overwhelmingly positive. We had capacity crowds at both of the concerts, and uh, I think that it was very new and different for audiences to see these ensembles play programs that went all the way from A to Z, so to speak, within that uh, contemporary classical idiom that include elements of like writing show tunes all the way to improvisations guided by electronics. It, other than New York and you guys all moving to New York, what brought you guys together? Knowing each other to some degree it's, in a sense, it's such a small world, we all kind of run into each other at festivals or schools or summer programs and such. Uh, so we get to know a lot of people's music that we're not directly, like, intimately connected with, that we're not colleagues with in one particular institution. And, uh, you know, these kind of rela relationships develop pretty quickly. And when such an opportunity comes up, it moves pretty quickly, I think. Alex can maybe talk about that more. Yeah, well, I, I guess I did the recruiting, um, which consisted of, hey, I've got this idea. Do you want to be a part of it? Uh, but in, in kind of deciding who I wanted to approach with this idea, I, I was looking for people who would be non-dogmatic, who were composers of first-class music with an emphasis on structural integrity underneath that surface language that they employ and who showed that broad spectrum of sounds that they cultivate. Well, for me, I really like the idea of having people who, are, who approach music so differently um, playing together on the same concert. I think that's a really interesting idea, and I think it's something that is, is maybe often kind of a goal for different ensembles, for different uh, programming opportunities, for different venues, and it doesn't always happen. Um, and so I thought this was an opportunity to really try to, to implement it and live it. And, um, you know, as I got to know the other composers in, in the group, the ones who I didn't know before, um, it seems like we're really moving in that direction. That's really exciting. Pretty much the exact same thing. And I joined in because I trusted and, and believed in Alex and the vision and similarly to what Alex was already saying I uh, had seen the same sort of segmentation in the contemporary classical world and uh, I thought it was about time for us to maybe do something about it a bit more actively 
Um, yeah, I, I like the idea to get to know different composers because I only know half of them when I just joined the uh, the group to write for the same ensemble and for at the same time, it's quite a fascinating idea because you get to know different thoughts and different approaches. And the most interesting part about the concerts is at the end, we have the Q&A part, uh, so to have the interaction with the audience. So you could get to know what their thought is. And I also think that would be part of the uh, composition, not just to work around, work on the sounding materials, but to get to know different thoughts. And that you will always, always help us to grow. So, yeah, that's a good point. Um, and part of what we're also interested in doing is kind of, you know, everyone has this goal to make classical music concerts not suck. Uh, and, and part of the way that we want to do that is by figuring out new ways to engage the audience. And the post-concert Q&A is not a new thing. Um, but one thing that I think we do a little bit differently is we want to make it very clear that it's okay for the audience to not like something. It's like if you're hearing a lot of different sounds, you're not going to like everything, and, and that's okay. That's a learning curve that I, I've kind of gone through myself, is realizing that not only do I potentially learn more from pieces that I don't like than from pieces that I do, but it forces me to confront my own tendencies in composition and kind of expand your world. And often the pieces that I don't like are the ones that stick in the memory. And so I have to wonder, is, is that piece less effective or is it more effective because it stuck around for longer? And these are the kinds of um, thoughts that I, I think would be really cool for audiences to be a part of, you know, to say, you know, I wasn't quite sure what you were doing here. Can you tell us about it and engage with the composers in that way? I also wanted to add that there is a social component to the iceberg uh, experience that um, in addition to working together as artists, we also kind of draw, like hang out together. And our meetings tend to involve beer, like a lot. Um, Too much sometimes. Yeah, I would say. And, and that's good. It's good because uh, it, often composers who have similar tendencies or who went to the same school end up becoming friends, but not so much going across stylistic or educational lines that you don't often see the Juilliard composers hang out with the Manhattan School composers, hang out with the NYU composers, and so on and so forth. And I think to have a group that um, brings all of those communities together is, is pretty cool. Which ties into kind of my response to your question of joining in. Of course, my colleagues' answers are, are part of it. And the other aspect is that it's a very solitary life being a composer of concert music. Uh, and the, I've been thinking about this for a while, that the idea of being in a band is quite attractive in some way. And in a sense, we are a band, a community, a, a, a group that really works together, hangs together, goes on trips to Memphis together, <laughs> apparently. Um, and, and that kind of harks back to my experience with you know playing in metal bands and the like, where it was 
kind of a family unit, and that camaraderie is a major aspect of it too. Feeling like we're in it together. So part of what we're breaking down, you know, the ideological lines and the institutional lines really end up being the same thing. And so, you know, certainly in New York City, there is a community that crosses over those boundaries to an extent, but it's still not as much as it could be. For the first season, we, we were still figuring it out. And so we collaborated in the sense that we had our, our work on the same concert but there was no collaboration during the compositional process, and that's something that we like to work towards in the future. At um, least to investigate. To investigate, <laughs> yeah. Like that works. See, see. Yeah. Right. Because it's a little bit difficult to do. In other words, you can't just write half a piece and then give it to someone else and right. expect them to finish it in a coherent way. Uh, but I think there are ways that that can happen. For example, to create a program that is based around a unifying theme or a unifying idea in the compositions that then will be translated through each composer's individual style. And I think that that's along the lines of what we might pursue in our, our second year. And I'd imagine that you'd also kind of influence each other. Like you already mentioned, I know so-and-so plays really well here, so I might write this for that person. And are there other ways that you influence each other? Just being exposed to you know, the fantastic music of my colleagues on a regular basis. You know, there are a lot of new music concerts with pieces that do not have the same sort of structural integrity um, and attention to time and flow that all of us, I think, demonstrate on a regular basis. And, you know, it's that's one of the great things about being part of Iceberg is that the other nine composers are a constant inspiration to me. Well, w one thing that's interesting is that, at least for, for myself, speaking from my experience, it's the extent to which a composer's music influenced my music depends on how well I understand it, how much time I spend with it. So one of the advantages of being in a band is you get to know each other's work pretty well, uh, which allows for more kind of osmosis and breaking of the seal, so to speak, as ideas come through after a while of getting used to certain things that Drake does or that Will does or that Alex does uh, that might end up in my music. Like, yeah, that was a good idea. I'll totally use that. <laughs> I, I plan to steal all of Harry's best stuff. <laughs> Yeah, so so we are in residence at this great space, um, Crosstown Concourse, um, and we're we're the guests of Crosstown Arts, and um, we've been able to use that space for performances, and then um, later today, actually, as we make this recording, um, we will be giving giving a series of workshops there as well, um, and I think that space. Um, what's what's possible there both in in this residency and in the future is really has really been inspiring for me certainly i think for others um and um yeah we've had we've gotten to see so many things i mean dur you know during our activities as part of the residency being able to work with the great musicians of blue shift um 
meeting audience members after the performances. Um, in, in some cases, people who haven't been to new music concerts before, um, people who haven't been to that space before, and bringing all that together and seeing what's what's there, what's um, you know what what uh, people are responding to, all that. Um, but then also when we, again, as Alex was talking about the social aspect, then when we go out afterwards and we can go to a show, and we see you know a band that somebody recommended the night before, and then we'll go to another bar and we'll see people that we um, recognize from the previous night at a different show. And then we hear about this new record label and we hear about this and that. And, you know, it, it just seems it was just kind of overflowing in the past few days. And I have so many things to listen to. <laughs> I don't know when I'm going to get to it. Well, it, I mean, it might be a small city, but the response to the two concerts we did with Blue Shift was outsized, I think. Mm -hmm. We had 150 people at each show, and I mean, that's pretty extraordinary for con uh, concert music. Um, and the response, and I, I should add that the 150 people are primarily members of the public, as opposed to composers, musicians, and so on. And often in, in New York, at least, what you get at new music concerts is you get 100 composers there. Uh, trying to steal your ideas. Trying to steal our ideas, <laughs> right. <laughs> and trying to, to performers, right? <laughs> To be approached by a family afterwards with no musical background and say, I, I loved that piece where you're bowing on the bridge of the cello. I mean, that that's extraordinary. And I think it's been really a wonderful facet of our time here. So, yeah, so the piece uh, that I had programmed on our concert this past week, um, I, I sort of got lucky that, that it ended up being this piece because it's a very flexible piece in many ways. Um, the performers are improvising with one another for, for good sections of the piece and um, determining things during the performance. The, the structure of the piece is relatively flexible, and so it's a piece that I think of in my mind as being able to adapt to different situations. And so as soon as I saw the space, I mean, I'd seen pictures online, but when you're actually there, it's really um, a different experience. And I thought immediately that, that there should be um, some kind of spatial element, some kind of engagement with the space and it's it's a piece that it's called photons and it's kind of about these subatomic particles you know flying around and so i thought that there there should be sounds flying around in the space in, in kind of a unique way so it, it was kind of a, a happy coincidence of of my openness to to doing something special with that particular piece and then having a, a really inspiring space It was actually Drake's idea because <laughs> because he saw my score and I actually indicated t uh, for the performer to come off the stage to um, the uh, in front of the audience, but not from the upstairs and downstairs because I don't know what the venue it will be. Mm. And but I like the the idea very much. So it is like the performer the performer starts uh, off stage and then it is like a process and then in the end he carried the cello uh, to backstage. But the performer is still going on. So it would be like to create a kind of resonance in some in some kind. And I especially like Jonathan's uh, performance because it is a very hard piece and I was a little bit worried he might give up because, <laughs> <laughs> because there are a lot of like notations and techniques are using two both right hand and left hand at the same time and even use mallets and hit the, the cello not everyone could be that 
open-minded to work on that piece, and he he's fantastic, and he really has an open mind that to to try and to accept the challenge. I really appreciate. I can jump in for a second. I think we've all been just super impressed by Blue Shift's willingness to take on music that is radically different. I mean, this is one ensemble that's over the last two weeks played music by 10 very different composers. I mean, all of us not only sounding different, but notating things in totally different ways and having different expectations of the rehearsal process. And they've taken on everything with uh, absolute joy and skill, and it's just been wonderful to see. And I guess that's one side effect of the Ice Brewery idea is that ensembles that tend to perform a particular type of repertoire hopefully will also be expanded by by collaborating with us um, and I think yeah if you have a new music group that that favors one particular subgenre maybe they're going to expand out in one direction or another through that experience so you've been working um a lot with the kids while you've been here. Can you talk about how uh, working with the kids and thinking about future new music? That's a big part of what we want to do is, and I think this, this goes along with what we mentioned earlier with audience engagement is, we also want to be kind of ambassadors for our community. And we've had the very, very good experience here of working with the University of Memphis summer camp, the composition class there. Um, I'll let the others describe their experiences, but what I did with the students um, was we, we listened to a recording of Berrios Sequenza 3 for a female voice, and we watched a video of it. And that's a piece that includes a lot of non-traditional effects. The vocalist is not just singing, but also laughing and squeaking and muttering and tongue clicking and doing motions and uh, emoting with her face. And as we were watching it, um, it was very quiet, and I got kind of nervous. Like, what? Are, I didn't know what to expect. I was like, what are these kids going to think of that? And afterwards, they were so enthusiastic about this composition in a way that I think a lot of even classical music listeners might not have been. They were really into it, and then we divided into groups, and we created our own compositions in that style with one group using only body percussion sounds, one group using only non-linguistic vocal sounds, and one group using only motion to try and convey um, emotional prompts. Uh, and then they performed for each other and we had a discussion about what was effective and what wasn't effective inside of those compositions. And I should add that this was the first day of the camp. These kids had just met each other for the first time and they jumped in and were completely not shy and enthusiastic about this activity. I think that was a very special group of students. And speaking to how how different we all are, or how I guess you could think of it as how we how we might complement each other. Um, we certainly didn't plan it this way, but but it ended up being that each of our presentations was so completely 
different, you know, we had beat making, we had talking about emotion in music, what Alex was describing. It was really, um, it, it, it was just great to, to talk to the other composers in the collective after their classes and, and just hear that what they had done was so different from what I had planned, for instance, and that the students responded equally well to all of them. Um, really, it's a testament to, to the students to um, how, how open and, and game they were. You were recounting earlier your good, uh, good morning Vietnam. Can you tell me, can you recap that again? Yeah, sure. Um, For all the parents. In yes, please, yes. Well, what really interests me in music and, and in w what I do is the emotional response to it and how that can be guided and perhaps even manipulated. And I thought a, a fine example of that is Hollywood film music and you know just uh, film placement in, uh, mu music placement in films. Uh, so we looked at uh, a scene from Good Morning Vietnam where there's, there are a series of you know, troubling images. Uh, in, they're fictional, I guess, uh, from the Vietnam War. And the original uh, piece, uh, the original song that's played over that is What a Wonderful World. But first we looked at the, that scene without the music, discussed it, what are the images, what could we expect music could do during this scene to enhance it, to counterpoint it, so on. And then we listened to it with What a Wonderful World, discussed the kind of emotional reaction then. And then we swapped it out. We tried a few different types of music that access different kind of emotional or mood um, or atmosphere. Uh, so we tried some music from Dido and Aeneas for the really sad lyrical music. Uh, we tried some Threnity for the Victims of Hiroshima by Penderecki, which is a particularly grating and uh, tense style of music. We tried some Philip Glass from My Side on the Beach, and of course we tried some Meshuggah because I had to fit in the metal. <laughs> but it was really impressive how intelligent and on point these the students were, their vocabulary, their way of describing emotion and how uh, different approaches resulted in different effects overall. It, I was quite stunned and kind of thought, wow, can you come to New York and study with me at City College? You'd make great undergrads. <laughs> I think it's extremely important to open up access to anyone and everyone, uh, especially in you know, these economic times. Mm -hmm. um, the issue that we have, of course, is that arts funding in this country is uh, horrible, um, and we are faced with that as much as anyone else is. Um, so it's a, it's a delicate balancing act, and here I have to, again, talk about Crosstown and how generous their support has been. And, you know, I don't think we could have done any of this without all the resources that they've offered. You know, we want to, you know, continue expanding. Now, talking more about my role with Blue Shift, we want to keep expanding our engagement with uh, the Memphis community and bring in segments of audience and segments of artists uh, from all over the map. You know. It's kind of paradoxical. I often get the best responses from people who have no training 
or no experience with classical music at all, uh, that they're much more receptive to things that are outside the box of the canon, so to speak. Whereas people who have been listening to classical music for a long time, but don't have experience with music after, say, 1920 or so, they're often a little resistant to it. And I think that our goal in, in putting on concerts is to appeal to both of those demographics through our music, but also through engagement. That those people who, who might be resistant, we talk to them. And when they see that we're real people with no fangs or fur or anything like that, uh, I think that they are much more likely to become part of a dialogue and uh, look at the piece from a fresh light in terms of what is the composer trying to communicate here. Um, so blending genres like you uh, guys hope to do and do, um, you know, with your hip hop and metal, um, I read up, uh, you know, metal and you have a background in Greek music. Yeah. Um, you know, how, how, um, how, how do you guys go about doing that? Living. Uh, this is these are all musics that are integral to our characters, our way of thinking, because we've been involved with them in various capacities. I grew up with Greek music in a Greek household uh, and with metal from the teenage uh, years on. Um, so it's not. I think if I weren't consciously trying to do anything with those musics, they'd still end up in my music, and they do, uh, and. It's what makes it even more interesting for me is that I'm able to also address it more consciously, kind of with a research focus in some way, like and cherry pick and refine what elements translate best into what I do now. Absolutely. Ultimately, if you try and force it, it's just not going to work. It's going to be obvious. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think for all of us who are doing this sort of work in our music, the you know, the uh, impetus for a piece still comes from what is it that I'm trying to say, what is the core of this thing, and then we pull from all of our diversity of experience, musical and otherwise, to make that happen. I should add that um, this is the kind of thing that's challenging to do well, I think, uh, that if you're aiming to combine contemporary concert music with hip-hop or with rock and roll or whatever, um, the worst thing that can happen is that you create a pastiche where you're just throwing a backbeat behind some tone rows and you're like, hey, it's a crossover. It is much more difficult to create a composition where both the concert influence and the hip-hop influence, for example, are integral, and the composition would be less without either one of them. Uh, and that's something that in this group I think composers are very, very skilled at. Um, those who are interested in combining the popular and concert genres uh, and it's one of the reasons that I was drawn to those composers initially. Ultimately, what is uh, the thing that you guys hope to translate to everybody from coming together as a collaboration? Well, I hope that through programming this kind, this um, music that's so different between the 10 of us that we can provide a little bit of context for the audience for each individual piece. Um, that's something that I'm certainly conscious of all the time that I've spent a lot of time listening to music and studying music, and I have a lot of reference points that that maybe other people don't. Um, and so, and I think I'm making you know a, a sly reference to something else. You know, it may not read that way, um, and and even things that I'm not doing intentionally are supported by this this background knowledge. And so, I think one of the 
the most interesting tasks that we have is is our programming and our way of juxtaposing things or providing context or kind of telling a story with the pieces that we choose to play so that we're really highlighting what's different, what's unique about these different um, these different pieces, these different voices. In general, I find that the some of the more effective emotional responses in, in music composition come from high contrast. And this is something that, as Drake's talking, that <clears throat> the juxtaposition of these various styles creates very marked contrasts from piece to piece often. Uh, and I think that it is really good at getting somebody to kind of be knocked out of whatever mental track they're on as per they're perceiving one piece of music. The next one comes on and it's so different that it forces a track change in some way. Variety, you know, like having a box of donuts like you guys have outside with a whole lot of flavors. I love that. I love to give that to audiences and let them know, hey, it's not all one thing. It's not new music as one monolithic block. Yeah, to, to misquote yeah. Uh, Forrest Gump, <clears throat> new music is like a box of chocolates. <laughs> can I can I make like a political analogy? Is that oh okay? All right. So I think one yeah right. Uh, We're good with that. I don't know about the rest of this. Okay. <laughs> Well, this is Harry Stafalakis. No, he's good. Um, yeah. All right. So I think that one of the big problems that we have as a society right now that we really need to address is suspicion of one another based on, you know, ethnic or sociological groupings. And I think that one factor that really exacerbates this is that so many people grow up in a community where they never encounter other ethnic or social groups. Um, I, I lived in that type of community when I was younger, and then I lived in New Orleans, which is much more diverse, and then I lived in New York City, which is it's like the most diverse place on earth. And in each specific stop, as the amount of diversity of humanity around me increased, my worldview expanded in a very perceptible way. Um, I think that by programming these sorts of concerts, we hope to accomplish the same idea in art, that people who imagine contemporary music in one way, whatever one way that is, because that's what they're exposed to, they're now going to be surrounded by all kinds of different voices and all kinds of different approaches. And hopefully, in so doing, we give the correct impression of the contemporary classical world is not monolithic, but something that consists of a lot of different faces, all cooperating with a common goal using different languages. And for me, I hope that that's what people come away with after the concerts, regardless of whether they have a background in that type of music or not. Well, lastly, what's your favorite thing about Memphis? I love the people here. I really do. Just pe everyone's been so warm and friendly and, and receptive and, and open-minded to what we do. And people coming to these shows and, and you know just getting to know the artists and the you know the audience. It's just been such a, a welcoming, beautiful place for us to be. Karaoke at the Lamplighter. <laughs> yeah, the dive bars. Love Lamplighter. <laughs> Ernestine and Hazel's. The food. Definitely the food. My part is kind of weird. I like the humid here because in New York it is very dry the weather. But um, I, I was growing up in Taiwan and then it was humid. 
and here it the weather is kind of similar so I couldn't get cracks on my fingers anymore here <laughs> I never use a lotion or hand Wait, cream here have we been living in the same world <laughs> 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 I feel like I'm swimming in New York yeah no we no. definitely uh, you guys haven't seen the worst of it yet <laughs> yeah. Yeah. no we definitely we, we can float and swim through the air at some point normally August yes oh. Thank you all for stopping by, and um, we look forward to the workshops later. And it's been a pleasure meeting you all. Yeah, thank so. you so much for having us. Thank, thank you. I guess we could have made a crack about iceberg coming to cool the city down or something. <laughs> 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 That'll be on the This has been an independent production of Sonosphere, produced by Amy S. and Chris Williams. Check us out at sonospherepodcast.com, follow us on social media, and find us on iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud. Special thanks to the Iceberg New Music Collective and Justin Thompson and everyone at Crosstown Arts. Thanks also to Jenny Davis and the Blue Shift Ensemble. Thanks for listening. Thank you.